This recording is an offering of Networks for Training and Development's online university. Hey everyone, so welcome to this quarter, because we're doing this quarterly, this quarter's Thinkathon. This is Jessica Stover with Networks for Training and Development, and we're delighted to be with you today to be talking and sharing insights, pondering, trying to figure things out. Uh, and the topic this quarter is privacy and upholding rights. So we do these every quarter, and this month is no exception, and we'll do another in um, another three months. But sometimes thinking differently is necessary. And most times, because, because we become so immersed in supporting someone, the everyday details are missed. So this is an opportunity to think about people that we all may know in our lives, that we may be supporting or be involved with personally or professionally, that we might want to be thinking about things differently, particularly surrounding privacy and rights. And certainly this is a challenging, personal, and difficult topic, but is necessary to discuss and think about with an open heart and head on. So we're really thrilled to be together today to be talking about this. But to just get us started, and we certainly don't have to stick to these questions and points, but I thought maybe this would just be a nice entree in, in talking about this topic. Right now, we're in the time of quote unquote COVID. Um, we are in the midst, it is March 12th, 2021. Um, it's been a year or nearly a year or slightly over a year since the pandemic began. And, you know, in this time of COVID, what are some of the concerns that you're seeing specific to privacy and rights? What could be done or done differently? And do you think this time has exacerbated this, sh this issue or is shining the light on the issues surrounding privacy and rights even more so? And I'm just going to kind of open it up and anyone that like to share or start off, um, I welcome you to do so. So, Jess, this is Michelle. Um, I think one of the things that's been in the news very frequently, I've seen it almost daily now, um, it's been going on for a few weeks now, a couple months consistently, is around um, the lack of vaccinations, uh, of, of protocol for people with disabilities, as well as um, just testing in general. Um, and, you know, the rights of people, why have people with disabilities been set aside? You know, and there's been just lots and lots going on around that. I'm curious what other people think about that topic, too, and what, what you've all seen around that in articles you may have seen and how things are improving and how, you know, some organizations um, I've seen are working on getting the vaccine to people they support. They're finding channels to do that. But I think that's, that's been something I've seen most recently. Yeah, I would agree, Michelle. This is Rosa. And um, I would agree it's something that I've been kind of paying attention to throughout the past year with this pandemic, with COVID-19, which I guess is COVID-20 or 21 now or whatever, um, is that there has not been much publicity about its effect on people with disabilities. And since that is the primary group of people that we are engaged with and support through networks, although certainly not the only folks that we do. Um, it really caught my attention actually with, um, as I started realizing the numbers of people that I knew um, around the country, frankly, who were sick and who had disabilities and many of which who have died. 
that impact has not hit the general news stream, I don't think. Um, I know I've brought it up to a number of people, friends and others, and they're appalled and amazed that, well, why aren't we hearing about this? And why is that happening? And why are they being affected? And don't they have the medical care? And, you know, I think there's many underlying reasons of why it's affecting some groups more than others, but this is not a group that's being highlighted a lot until more recently, as you pointed out. And mm -hmm. I think family members and other people are really vocalizing now because yeah. of the lack of access um, or the diminished access to the vaccine. So I think it's becoming a bigger issue as well as other groups um, that are being highlighted now. I think the, the access to the vaccine is highlighting other groups too that have been horribly affected by mm -hmm. COVID for multiple reasons. And yet we just didn't know or didn't see or the general public wasn't aware. One thing that really stood out to me is that I, we haven't really considered the fact that a lot of people with intellectual disabilities have a you know, multitude of people involved in their lives that are not their family. And they don't have control over who those people are and as they come and go. And so I think their exposure has been greater than what we may have thought. And it, you know, to me, it's just as risky um, living in, you know, living in maybe a community living arrangement and having a lot of support people coming in as it is for the elderly um, living in nursing, skilled nursing facilities with, you know, a variety of caregivers coming and going. I mean, there's just no control over that. Right, right, Tracy. It's really true, you know. And and I know we know of some agencies. We heard of some agencies in Philadelphia, human service agencies, that did, you know, some pretty extraordinary things in trying to move around staff or to take staff that were that were previously part time and instead make them full time, so they weren't moving around between agencies as much. So they're they had. Um, more of their livelihood covered in one location, if you will, to kind of limit that. But yeah, there's there's so many, you know, this, this issue is really very deep. And to the issue that we're talking about today about privacy, I mean, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine, you know, the, the privacy issues that people um, are living with now, right? you know, under the guise of safety and concern. I get it, but I, you know, people in nursing homes, people in supported living situations of a variety of different types. I mean, are, where are their rights these days? Are they getting a say in being able to get out and about or are they being overrided because of safety protocols and, and the needs of others? I, it's not an issue that I would want to have to make a decision about, that's for sure. And I, I understand all the sides to it, but the potential rights violations have to be out the wazoo, have to be huge. It's making me think, Rosa, where we've heard in the height of COVID where uh, people were moved from their homes to go live in, in other people's homes because of staffing issues. I can't imagine being uprooted like that and all that's familiar to you, your life, to, and for someone to just say, sorry, and, and we get it. It's, been, it's because of safety. It's to keep everyone safe um, and to maximize the staffing. But to have to live with that and live through that, and I'm curious how many organizations have been able to, to slowly work towards getting back to what their normal used to be and for people to go back to their homes again and for staffing to start to begin 
to look a little bit more like normal. And this is Jess, I mean, it, what comes to mind, I mean, this is beyond an impossible situation, certainly nothing we've ever seen or experienced in our own lifetimes. And, you know, Rose, I think, you know, you touched on it, which I mean, we, we, we all have is, you know, obviously having the utmost respect for everyone just trying to do their very best and being mindful of health and safety and those concerns. But hearing that people are being prohibited from seeing family members and particularly say if there's family members or they themselves don't use technology and aren't able to Zoom with someone um, or aren't able to Skype or do a video chat through FaceTime or whatever it might be, but not being permitted to see those that are closest to you. Um, That's been a really difficult thing to hear and has really been challenging, I know, personally for me to try to wrestle with of how right is that? How good of a thing is that? Should that be? I don't know. I mean, it's that that that's one of the pieces that continues to trouble me. I think the most, um, and it it, it happens all across the country. Frankly, globally, um, it's it's happening. And when when is it okay? I I just I don't know. I don't know. I think we've seen through the last number of months from just being part of some meetings that the larger the organization, the more challenging situations that they're facing with upholding people's rights. And maybe it's because they have so many people that they're responsible for, both people they serve and and their staff, that they're locking things down, if you will, to keep people safe. Um, and, And then the smaller organizations, it appears, the smaller sampling that I've noticed, but that they seem to have a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more freedom in some of the decisions they're making about how they're going to follow through with their protocols. They're open a little bit more. It's just interesting to see how that's all unfolded. You know, the, Michelle, I, that you brought that up, the word protocol, that just kind of hit like a light bulb moment. So providers have their protocols, but I wonder how many people are being supported to establish their own personal protocols. Mm-hmm. I think, I think we point. all hear We all established our own protocols and where our comfort level is and where our right to risk is, because we all have this right to risk and, and what we were comfortable and not comfortable in doing. I wonder how many people they themselves who may be supported within the quote unquote system or even those kind of outside of that, that system, if you will, um, have kind of developed their own personal protocols and have had those discussions. Yeah, you know, this actually is, I'm wondering that, or if this is almost an age-old discussion or topic around um, honoring people's rights, dignity of risk, which was, what, from the 1980s, maybe, 90s? Someone (laughs) help me out with the date, but before that, before before the 70s, the 70s and the 80s, yeah. Right, and I just feel like, are we still in this... Um, you know, debacle or this quandary of figuring out how to support people, honoring who they are, and being okay with um, and trusting that we give people enough information and that we're trying to, you know, in terms of informed choice and 
you know, these are age old discussions. I mean, we're talking about COVID now, and I know no means do I want to minimize the, you know, dramatic impacts of this health crisis we've been in now for almost a year. Um, but I think we're one of the questions you raised, Jess, was like shining a light on something that we've already been wrestling with. And I feel like that's at the core of this. This is not new. And that's that's disturbing as well. I totally agree, Shauna. And I was thinking that similarly, you know, it, it, it takes me back to a quote from, you know, our good friend John O'Brien a million years ago, or maybe not quite that long, but a while ago, that's for sure, where I remember in a meeting where he said, um, with a bunch of us who were struggling with what do we do about when someone is making a choice that we know is not safe or maybe even illegal or whatever, what do we do? Because we want to honor their right and their respect. And yet, don't we also have some level of due diligence and blah, 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 blah. And I remember a quote that he, or something that he said that has stuck in my brain forever since. He said, nothing about this, this meaning person-centered planning and helping people exercise their rights and speak their dreams and their fears and all that. Nothing about this is about letting people die with their rights on. I'm just going to repeat that again because I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks. And I've thought that so many times. It doesn't provide me an answer, but John O'Brien said nothing about this is about letting people die with their rights on. So where do we draw that line in the sand, whether it's about going out and about without a mask or letting people come and visit or hugging people or heaven forbid, having relationships, even outside of COVID, even, you know, in other times, where do we draw that line in the sand? I don't know. I mean, and in thinking about that, Rosa, I mean, that that is one of the most powerful things, honestly, I think I've ever heard. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, friends I've had in the past or, you know, even currently that have made some really dangerous decisions. And there've been times where I and others would be involved in their lives and we would do everything in our power to put the brakes on because we knew that choice that person was making, drug use or whatever it might've been, was going to kill them. And, and we threw the brakes on and did everything in our power to stop it because we knew they would die. We, we, we knew it in our hearts and in our core. And so we did absolutely everything from getting law enforcement, you know, to whatever. Um, why is that any different? You know, it, it, it's that question that's that unanswerable question. Why is, you know, someone in my life who's making, let's say, not that's currently happening, but let's say someone who is actively using heroin and I'm going to do everything in my power to try to get them to stop, help them seek treatment, whatever, because I know it's going to kill them. Why would that be any different than others in my life? Like, why do I treat one different than the other? I just wanted to say, I think what's so disturbing about now with COVID is that a lot of folks are cut off from the people who are their voice of reason or who are their, you know, are their advocates. And just whether it's, a, you know, being a friend and being able to have closer contact with somebody who's having a drug abuse problem, it, you know, you don't have as close contact with those type, with your with friends or whoever right now. So people who are struggling or have, you know, they don't have their advocates. They don't have other people having discussions with them about health and safety, perhaps that they would normally have. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here nodding my head, Tracy. <laughs> like nodding my head. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Me too. Me yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing that just came to mind, having people have their advocates around, but then we need to be supporting people to be their own advocates. And then are we really listening to people when they are advocating for what they want? So I I just uh, had seen an email earlier, which is just triggered to me that this popped up. Another layer to this, aside from people with disabilities not being given full access to uh, vaccine or be prioritized is, this is a scary one too. There's research now, they're doing a survey on hesitancy and access challenges that people with disabilities are encountering. And it's scary to think this is another privacy and a rights issue. How are people being coached in negative ways around access to the vaccine? So they're not being given good information, you know? whether it be the person themselves, their family, whatever, it looks like they're now doing a survey to try to assess this and what's going on with it. Uh, because there are people saying, I don't want, I don't want uh, the vaccine, just like there are, you know, of course, in the general uh, public. But are people getting the right information that they need? And where are they getting it from? You know, and there's that other layer. Are they being held back by people for other reasons that we're not even aware of at this point? Or we could only speculate to. Yeah, there's there's and, a lot of concern. And once again, these are age-old problems. The mm-hmm. issue, as you're talking, Michelle, I remember back, oh my goodness, conversations in the 80s and 90s with people who wanted to get married and um, were being told by folks, you, you can't get married or you'll lose your social security because it was, and I'm not sure if it's still the same way, but it used to be that if two people who were on SSI, for example, Social Security, supplemental, whatever that is, uh, disability-related um, uh, Social Security. If two people were on that and married, one of them would drop their or would lose their financial stability. They would still receive medical, but they would not receive their money. They would lean on, they would only get the one. And again, I don't know if this has changed, but I remember being in so many, I don't even know that I can call them discussions, with couples who wanted to get married, like full-on marriage, and were being coached, you know, so it's that right information being given to people about anything so that they really can make informed choice. They can make true decisions that reflect their beliefs and their principles and their situations. That's true for senior citizens right now about the vaccine. Um, I've been in a situation with a friend of mine who is horrified because she's here in Hawaii, and her mother, um, who's in her 90s, is on the mainland. And the person nearest to her mother is another sister who is vehemently against um, any vaccines or any mask wearing or anything like that. And my friend is very concerned. Her mother is being swayed by her other sister and her beliefs. So this, how do we get information to people? How do we, so that they can really make their own choices? It's the age old issue. And I think we're just seeing it so heightened right now because of COVID. So I'll ask the question, you know, what can be done? You know, obviously, you know, it's been brought up getting good information, but what else could be done? Um, How can people be best supported or better supported? Information is very much key in all of this. So how do we facilitate that information flow? We as friends, supporters, loved ones of others, um, what are some things that we can do? Yes, I know that we have a number of elderly people in our family that 
my husband and I support, take care of. And, you know, it, they've been hearing conflicting bits of information and, you know, we have shared um, our actions and why we're doing the things that we're doing and not telling them that they have to do it this way, but we're just saying, this is what we're doing. This is how we're taking precautions and, you know, have given them like, it's up to you. If you want to go out, that's up to you. We'll, we'll support you in that, but we're, you know, this is what we're doing. Um, So, you know, it's kind of because you have other family members who are saying, opposite things. And a couple other people mentioned that earlier, having, you know, two uh, of the person's children given two different uh, scenarios. And that's what's happening in my family right now is two different scenarios. And, you know, no masks, no vaccine versus yes, we're wearing masks. Yes, we're getting vaccinated. Yes, you know, when we come over, we're we're wearing a mask and no, we're not going to stay. And, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, this is how we're dealing with it and trying to give as much information as we can. And, you know, ultimately they have to make the choice of who they're going to see and, you know, how they're going to handle it. Other thoughts on this? I was hesitant. This is Rose again. I was hesitant to bring this up, but I, I am starting to see, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that this is a good idea or a bad idea or anything, but as is often happens, I am starting to see the beginnings of what sounds like some potential legal actions on behalf of some folks whose rights, it appears, have been violated by this situation and that they have been kept from family and they've been, you know, some pretty, there's one or two situations that I know of that are pretty, um, pretty, pretty severe situations where people have made, and I'm sure for all the right reasons of caring and protection and safety and everything else, have made decisions that others are viewing as violating rights, and the person themselves, um, who is being so-called protected and supported, has been having horrible emotional, physical, and other reactions to these stipulations and protocols, et cetera, that have been quote put upon the person, um, including hospitalizations um, for trying to harm themselves. So I think we're going to see some of that. Again, I'm not suggesting that's the right thing to do or anything, but I think this is going to raise up this this very question that we're talking about here, this issue. I think we're going to start seeing it in some legal situations as well, where it's believed that people's rights have been violated. I think especially if they haven't been able to be a part of weighing the risks, because there's risks to one type of behavior versus another, and we all weigh the risks ourselves to decide what we're going to do. And if somebody is you know, dictating which risks they need to attend to, then that's, that's really not right. fair, right? This, this is Jess again. Have there been any, either continuing on with this, or I'm going to shift a little bit, um, your choice. Have there been situations or events that you've been involved with in the past where this topic, privacy and rights, has come up and there's been a successful navigation through um the woods, for lack of a better metaphor, um, but there's been a successful navigation to the other side where people were having their voices heard, where people were, um, and they weren't previously having their rights upheld. Are, are, are there situations you can think of, even, and just obviously generally you can share them, um, that, that might be helpful in this conversation to frame it even further? I can think of several. 
several come to mind. As I mentioned, you know, a couple of situations where people wanted to get married. Um, I can think of one situation in particular where this couple were adamant they wanted to get married. And it was not just, I want to wear a white dress and I want to be in a church and, you know, that kind of thing. And I want to have a party afterwards. It wasn't just that, although that was part of it. But it was, I want to be Mrs. So-and-so kind of thing. I want to have people know that we're married and we can be married, you know. Um, and it was in one situation I remember very strongly, it was the question of Social Security benefits. But it was also a couple of family members that were against it, thinking you don't need to do that. You could just have, well, just have a party and you can wear a white dress. And he can wear a tuxedo kind of thing. And it was really what a couple of us did was help us all remember back if we had had weddings, why we had weddings, why we did that. Or if it wasn't that, if we went to college and we got a degree, why we did that. What was the real importance of it? What was, what was the meat of it? The reason why? And helping people get into their own head and their own situations and either remembering back or thinking forward really help you know so another situation i can think of it was helping people all of us around this person remember times that others had spoken for us and decided things for us whether it was like my mother insisting that i looked great in pink even though i hated pink scarred me even to this day but i'm teasing but you know if it was something silly like that or something really really important but each of us remembering and putting ourselves kind of in that perspective and thinking about how important privacy and how important rights are and how individualized those decisions are. I think that sometimes can help. Not always, but sometimes. I had been in a wedding of a, of a friend and became two friends who happened to have disabilities. The whole wedding celebration and the family perspective on wanting, you know, the the bride's parents and the groom's parents wanting their adult children now to have a wedding like everybody else. And it was sad that they had to take a look at the, the benefits and what that would mean. But they decided as two families coming together that they were going to support their son and their daughter in making it work. And they did. And it was a wonderful wedding. And it's what everyone, you know, people who want to have weddings, like you said, Rosa, like, what is it about it? What do you want? And, and they had what they wanted. It was, it was wonderful. It's a great memory. Just need to see it happen more often. That's beautiful, Michelle. Um, this is Jess yeah. again. Um, there was, um, I, I was lucky enough to get to know a gentleman and his team. And um, he very much, very, very much more than anything, wanted a job. He wanted to get out of the sheltered workshop and he wanted a job. And his family was so very much against it. And he so very much didn't want to be a quote unquote problem for them. He wanted to please them. He wanted to do the right thing, but he so very much privately amongst several of us when the family wasn't around would tell us un, un um, provoked or, or whatever that word is. I'm trying, that's not coming to mind, but he would come out himself and say, and just say it like, I really want a job. I really want to leave this place where I'm at and get a job. But when, you know, then we would have and that time to all of us together as a team to support him, the question would come up, he would fall back into the no, 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 everything's fine. I don't want to leave. And I can remember one of the last times I was 
with the whole group together, it came up very gently. You know, the question was posed, you know, I remember, and, and prior to getting together, we kind of prepped him, like, we're going to be talking about, if you're okay with it, this notion that you want to work and your family is going to be there. Are you okay to talk about it? And he was hesitant, but he's like, yeah, I, I really think I do. And the topic came up and and he just kind of shrunk. He just, he just kind of shrunk in his chair and his head dropped, his shoulders dropped. And he kept looking around the room and he was looking at his family members and, and the concern on their face. And one by one, he made eye contact with everyone. And all of us were just looking at him and nodding, trying to give him encouragement to say what he wanted to say. And very gradually, he kind of got very much taller and he lifted his head and you just kind of saw the shift and change in him. It was very subtle. And but he summoned all the courage. It really was a lot of courage that he had to summon because he was just so scared. And, you know, he said, I, I want to work. I want a job. I want to leave this place. And it was the first time he ever said it in front of his family and just the look of fear on his face. But he said it and you could tell he was so proud of himself. And he said it and the family voiced their concerns, but then we talked about it. And what ended up was the family had a very different notion of what getting a job for him was. The they, they had thought he's just going to be left to his own devices on a street corner, no support. He'll get a job at McDonald's. He'll have to get there on his own. And this, you know, he's going to have to fly solo on all this, never having done this before. And when the team heard this, they were able to take those fears away in that there would be support and we're going to get a plan. We're going to get a plan that works for him, for his comfort and for his needs. And all of a sudden it was the, well, heck, why didn't you help him get a job years ago? Oh my gosh. You know, and, and that's, that's a moment that's always really going to stick with me. Um, it, it just, just to watch that whole thing unfold and, and for him to really, like I said, kind of, gain the strength to speak his mind and have have his words truly be heard. It was a really powerful moment. Jess, that brings up another privacy issue that to me is that a lot of individuals with disabilities don't seem to have the privacy that other individuals do their own age, other adults. And that because their parents are so involved, um, whether power of attorney or whatever, but parents are constantly in the know and adult children don't have that privacy from their parents that maybe other adult children do. I mean, there are things about my life I would have not want my parents to know, but sometimes people with disabilities, their parents get to know everything. They're told everything. And so, I mean, that brings up another issue with me. What does a caring family member that, you know, have the right to know, or can they have their own little private things that are just to them and not shared with family. Yeah, I can recall, this is Shauna, uh, many years ago, being a part of many teams um, in previous work that I've done um, supporting people with disabilities and um, having really interesting conversations about this. Tracy, you're bringing them up for me now, these memories of people who had, who wanted to keep things private from mom, right? They would, mom would come to a team meeting and there would be some delicate topics. And I would think like, yeah, I wouldn't want my mom to know this about me either. And some of it just was very like commonsensical. Like, of course, let's find a way to keep this private. But then you walk a weird line sometimes of wanting to maintain someone's privacy and not finding yourself in a situation where you would have to, you know, uh, manufacture the truth with mom. Oh, no, mom, that's not what that was when in fact it was. And I can recall being 
like on the periphery of of situations like that where you people sometimes really do want to do the right thing and protect um, someone's rights or privacy about certain matters. But when you have other involved family members or parents, et cetera, who feel that perhaps they have a right to know everything, uh, those can be really tricky lines. And I'm not saying that's an excuse to to backtrack on the, the promise of giving people a real life with privacy, but it, it makes it more difficult to achieve. Absolutely. And again, you know, I think probably all of us have been in similar situations where we're maybe the middleman or the person trying to help others see that and help the person speak up, not speak for them, but help them speak for themselves. And um, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. I would like to think that these issues will fade away a little bit with more young folks being included in situations and not as excluded, not as seen as so special, if you will, in air quotes. Um, but I guess that's my hope. I'm not sure if that's reality or not. I, you know, just knowing and seeing more, and I'm just going to say it, younger parents with kids with disabilities these days um, seem to be I'll say it better about just helping their kids have more of an everyday life and not segregating them or protecting them as much. Maybe it's a a generational thing and maybe we'll see it fade away a little bit with family members as well as with agencies. I don't know. I guess that's my hope. This is such an excellent topic. I mean, we could could go on forever. Um, The next, each generation, maybe it'll get better. And those of us with that historical view, you know, maybe we can see that. Hi, everyone. My name is Eva. Um, I wanted to comment. I think that was a good point about um, how privacy can be restricted given certain situations. Um, I'm a person with a disability and receive home care services, and I find it to be very difficult to um, be comfortable talking about certain things like if I'm having a phone conversation or just anything, privacy is very, very, very limited. And I'm actually a very private person. So that I have to kind of share things that I wouldn't necessarily share with other people, but because I need the care kind of not um, something that I can um, necessarily avoid. That makes sense. It does. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Eva. I'm. Ro- this is Rosa again. I just. I was kind of cringing as you were talking and thinking. Yeah. I. I can't imagine. I mean, I can imagine. There. I've certainly been in circumstances myself where I felt like you know, that's not your story to share. Or why? Why are you? You know, whatever. I, but my guess is not as much as you have been, and I'm very sorry. I remember with one person helping them kind of right there, going back to what Jess, you talked about earlier, their own protocols or their own, you know, I'm actually remembering a couple of people, we named it different things. One person, it's like Rosa's Bible kind of thing. Um, another was, is you want to work with me? This is what you got to do and not do with somebody else's. That was Mark. You know, there were a couple of different people that I remember, you know, saying to them kind of like, if you had to write down the rules for everybody, what would it be? And they did like really fast no surprise. And then it was like asking them, do you want to share this with people? Or how do you want to share this? Do you want help with this? What do you, what do you want to do with this? Or did it just feel good to write it? And one, you know, I don't know if that would help Eva at all. 
Yeah, something that I definitely just wrote down because um, it, it sounds, I don't know if it'll work either, but it sounds like something definitely to attempt and try. I mean, I mean, I'm open to a lot of things. And you reminded me too, even in the hospital, um, you know, if you're having, not receiving good care from the people, but you want to make a call like the family or something mm-hmm. to tell them the situation, you could be limited there too. It's just so many situations that until you brought up the this topic, and I think about privacy actually all the time, but until y'all each made those comments, I didn't even think about all the different kinds of situations where people privacy and their rights of privacy has been really restricted. I bet. I mean, the other thing that I would say to you, I mean, we're a training organization, so you got to understand I'm going to always go to that. But, you know, maybe make your own video, make your own podcast and share it with others. I don't know if you have a Facebook page or Instagram or something like that. More and more people are putting some of their stuff out in the, you know, so it's like, I know it's kind of funny because talking about privacy, but kind of almost breaching their own privacy, but in their own way and sharing what you want to share and getting the word out and letting other people, you know, I'm just thinking, so what if you did an Instagram video or something and talked about this a little bit as much as you wanted to do? And what if you got, you know, 200 hits and then brought that to the attention of some folks? You know, just said, hey, I don't know if you guys know I did this and look at the support I'm getting. Can we talk about this? Would that be a way to help bridge that, I wonder? Yeah, I mean, that might not be your thing at all, but I'm just... It's not. I'm totally not yeah. on social media. Yeah. <laughs> I get I, 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 totally still, I never, I never, anytime anyone give any suggestion, I never, th- even if it's not my normal, never, you know, throw it away or anything. I actually tried to, tr- try to do it. Much to that courage like so many others before me have done and and, and attempt to do so. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. I tend to throw some things away when people say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> We're here for you with, for whatever that. We hear you loud and clear. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I think, you know, and Rosa, you just kind of hit on the nail. We we hear you. I mean, I think people want to be heard and yeah. and their voice is honored and, and, and respected and I think that's a lot of this for me. That's what it boils down to. People want and need and have to be heard. The thought that just popped in my head and, um, you know, various ways all of us here today um, may have been involved, but within the various systems and areas people are supported, you know, there's files and files and files and binders and binders and binders for some people, you know, 10 miles high. And what is written in there? And was that with their consent? Do they want this stuff documented and written in there? Is it necessary? Is it, you know, and how many people end up reading that and then even misconstruing it? It's, do we have, do we truly have to know everything that we feel we have to know, you know, as a system, I guess, I'm going to take it broader as a system. Do we really need to know all of this stuff? Just I think about sometimes doing consults and how sometimes I get more information than what I want to know because sometimes I prefer to not have any information and meet people and draw my own conclusions and see where people are rather than seeing where other people think they are. Throughout this whole conversation, I keep thinking of my good old buddy, some of you knew Maria. And you know, I've heard many of the stories. Um, Maria taught me so much over the years and this is a huge, huge topic. I mean, just this whole conversation I'm just seeing Maria like tapping me on the shoulder saying, tell my story, tell my story. And I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but 
Maria was someone who really pushed people's buttons and people struggled with how to support her because she was, she didn't come lightly into this world. It's <laughs> pretty outspoken, pretty demonstrative. And she was an extraordinarily loving being, but she had a tough outer edge and it, she came to it in a right way because of what she was dealt with cards she was dealt growing up and all of that stuff and a lot of it by the system by people trying to mean well and take care of her who really messed her up and in her later years through a group of us who were her friends and a couple rekindled family members maria left the system she wanted to know what was in the big black books about her and in fact it wasn't just one book or two she there were file cabinets full of stuff about her and she wanted to know what was in there. And part of it was helping her see the files, which I got to tell you was a whole big deal. Like, is she allowed to see her own files? Were some of the questions asked. And um, she ultimately made some real decisions similar to, you know, what we've talked about here that even her closest friends and family members, us, weren't sure that these were great decisions. It was scary for all of us, but she made it after weighing it. And these were part of her lifelong hopes and dreams. And we helped her have a file burning party. She ultimately left the system. Um, and again, some people thought that that was, you know, we were heretics. We were terrible people. We were going to harm her. It was going to be on our heads kind of stuff. But we helped her literally tear up and burn some of her files in kind of a bonfire. She officially left the system, left the security of the system, funding, other stuff like that, and went to live with a family member. And she was not in good health and she died. And to this day, I have not one shred of guilt about that. Not one shred whatsoever that maybe, you know, I helped her, her ultimate demise or anything like that. Instead, I have this image of Maria, one of her final days, where she was smiling broadly for what she had accomplished. And she had become her own true person. She really had. Goodness. Thanks, Rosa. Those are incredible. Incredible stories that have been shared today. And of course, heartbreaking and gut-wrenching too, because clearly there's so much more work to do. There, There's so many more people to hear and to support and, and to support to be heard um, and to think differently about of, of how we can support people to have their privacy upheld, to have their rights upheld, and, and all the nuanced pieces and the difficult pieces that, that go along with that. And that uh, I think at the end of the day, we all become better people for, for wrestling with, with it. And, but just about this topic in general, just, just being able to have these conversations is, is huge. And certainly I think, um, I'll say it, a step in the right direction or in the continued direction. Eva shared in the chat, thanks for sharing Mar Maria's story, Miss Rosa. Love she took her power back and she was able to be her own decision maker. Isn't that true? My goodness. Rosa responded back with a heart emoji. So I'm looking at the time and I think we'll be wrapping up here. But before we go, are there any closing thoughts? Or any any last things for right now that anyone would like to share? I'll just add this to Shauna that, you know, one size does not fit all. You know, we don't have all the answers, but I think it's worth it for us to continue upholding, you know, what's right and helping people to fulfill their dreams and make their own decisions. As difficult as it is, it's worth it. It certainly is. 
Eva shared, please do another thinkathon on this topic because it is a fluid topic, important topic. And as Ms. Shauna said, one size does not fit all and would love to continue to brainstorm again. Thank you so much, Eva. I, I don't think this conversation is going to end for sure. Um, I think that um, certainly, I think we're all open to continue to talking about this and we'll certainly keep you posted. Um, so I'm going to wrap up and thank you all so much for joining in, for being a part of this. This was an incredibly rich discussion and um, hope to see you all soon in the future. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. We hope the information provided was helpful. Don't forget to stop by our website and take advantage of all we have to offer.